Well, good morning, everyone. So good to see you all today. Are you thankful to be alive? Yes. Man, it's good, good to be here. And those that are sitting in those nice, uh, comfy plastic chairs back there, kudos to you and your tushy. And uh, thanks for sitting so nicely back there. <laughs> oh, man, we're just so thrilled to see what God is doing in and through this church family. It's, it's really the Lord. And it's marvelous in our eyes. And it's so wonderful when God gets all the glory. Because when God gets all the glory, then the God's the one that builds it. And so that's what we're interested in doing as well. Uh, so if you got your Bibles with you, I want to, kind of what we did January 1st, the Lord really gave us, or just specifically for us as a church family, some things to really zero in on, focus on a little bit. And I want to just kind of bring that to your attention again today as we move forward. And uh, again, I'm so excited about what, what Jesus is doing in this earth. And of course, we know in the Word of God, Proverbs 3 really reveals to you and I that in the, in, in the last days, it gets darker and darker in the world, but actually it gets brighter for the church. Now, you may hear that and kind of go, well, that's kind of a, a catchphrase, cliche Christian saying, and we don't want to just leave that thought or in a cliche saying. The reality is the reason why the church gets brighter and brighter because you and I are walking in a greater degree of revelation knowledge from the word of God. And that's what makes you and I live in these brighter days. It's not just because it's, well, we're just going to be bright and that's how everything is. And we're just Christians in this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. There's truth in that. Like, listen, we are in Goshen. God has taken good care of us. But at the same time, it's not just because I'm doing my own thing. It's because I'm pursuing him with every fiber of my being. And revelation knowledge is how you and I are now living. It's not just living based off information we get out there or information we grew up with. The Lord is strategically placing you and I in such a way that he can get his word across to you and me. Is it going to get better out there? Probably not. So what do you and I have? We have hope. His name is Jesus. But in that he gave us every answer we'll ever need to know in his word. So that's been a passion of ours. That's why we continue to do what we do. Is because the Lord called us to be a strong word and spirit church in these last days in our area. And to be a distribution center of the word in every form. That's why we're so passionate about this word is because the call that this church has on it is to get the word of grace, the word of his love, the word of his faith across in our generation. And that's what you're a part of. That's what we're doing here. So yeehaw. All right. So again, what the Lord told us a little while ago, that there would continue again, nothing necessarily new for you and I, but there will continue to be a natural shaking, great deception, great turmoil, and an increase of persecution against his church. So I don't know about you, but I remember a year or so ago, we were really reading a specific prophecy that was given in 1980 by a gentleman named Kenneth E. Hagan. I'm not going to read it to you right now. But basically, the Lord allowed him to see what the end of the age looked like. And one of the things at the end of the age, what it was looking like that he got this vision of, is that it's going to get darker, that there, it'll be increased in velocity, demonic activity. It'll be increased in intensity. And so what's the answer? A lot of Christians will throw up their hands and say, there is no use. We might as well just hold on for Jesus to come back. But the prophecy goes on to say, but no, the Lord says that he's actually raising up a band. He is raising up an army that will learn and know how to pray in these last days, not only just against the enemy, but how to now be properly ambassadors in this earth for the kingdom of God. So for you and I, when we hear these things about, okay, it's going to, you know, Natural things are continuing to be shaken. The world out there is going to get darker. What do we do? We, do we just throw up our hands and go, Jesus, take the wheel. Oh, I don't know what to do anymore. 
No, what you and I, we're going to get aggressive in our dependency upon God. There's no other option. Playing church has been done a long time ago. And man's church is in trouble. God's church is not. So you and I, I don't know about you, but I'm not interested in man's church. I'm not interested in some religious gathering where we just, oh, very nice, and we applaud one another doing religious duties. I'm interested in the real gospel, the real Jesus, the real spirit of God to have his way and to flow with real people. Do I got real people in the house this morning? Woo! And the rest of you are, woo! We might as well get on that train because phoniness is not what we're doing here. And that's sadly, we're not going to perfect phoniness either in the church. See, one of the things that's so easy to be all churchy and know how to do church things, but you don't know how to live the grace life. We go to church, we know how to say the amens, we know how to shout the hallelujahs, we know how to praise and worship a little bit, but all of a sudden when Monday hits, what happened to all that? It's gone. And that just simply reveals to you and I that we are living in this phoniness, going, we're playing church and we're doing the actions, but we're not living like that anymore. Not saying that we ever were, but I'm just saying it's, uh, that's not what we call to do. So now, what is our answer? As we said, it's time to get aggressive in our dependency upon God. Now, why is that? I want you just to see this verse, because I think the devil hates it, because he's getting told on here. But Revelation 12, 12, it's, uh, it's just fun to let him know a little bit about what's coming his way. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, read the end of the book. We know we win. Yeah. And the devil, you know, it's crazy. This is how stuck in pride he is. He actually thinks he has a chance still. Talk about, like, a definition of stupid. Stupid. Pid, with a capital S. This is what the word says. It says, therefore rejoice, O heaven. Some translations actually say, there is a massive belly laugh in heaven going on. What's a belly laugh? It's not just a, <laughs> it's a, <laughs> and you who dwell in them. So he's talking about those that are in the heavenly realm. That, that will be us. And it says, woe to the inhabitants on the earth and the sea. Why? Because the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that his time is short. He knows that, and that's why there is such an increase in a lot of demonic activity that we're seeing across the globe. Right? This earth is groaning. It's in tremendous labor pains until, and we're going to get into that in a little bit, but the manifestation of the sons of God, but till the revealing of Jesus. It's all growing because, I mean, there goes so much into this. But this is why you and I need to become aggressive in our dependency upon God because Satan knows his time is short. So what does he do? Naturally speaking, the only thing he can do is up the pressure. But you and I, you can outlast him any time because you got patience. He's got none. You can continue to stand and having done all to stand, stand. And what do I do after I keep standing? You keep standing. Keep standing on what God said. Keep standing on what he said. Keep standing on what he said. And eventually when the dust settles, Satan goes, rats, it didn't work. And we go, told you. We told you. The word works on our behalf. Now, (laughs) so God again told us a bit more last week. How do we become aggressive in our dependency upon God? Is that we use this, the C word, continue. We are continuing. Say with me, continue. Continue. Now, we, there's a few things that we continue in the truth that we've been taught, continue in the word of God, and we continue to follow him. This really is our assignment. If we could just simplify Christianity, it's, again, we're not talking religion. We're talking this relationship-based gospel that Jesus came to introduce to us. What's our job? Continue to be with him. 
Continue to follow, continue to go into the word, continue to allow the truth that we've heard to continue to get on the inside of us. That's what we do. Where Christianity gets confusing and complicated is when you spice it up with throwing a little bit of religion in there. Where you throw you in the mix and you're trying to figure out and you need to do and you got to be a better and you got to figure out this and you got to get free. None of that is your responsibility. That's his responsibility. You are not Lord. He calls us sheep for a reason. (laughs) Sheep are very smart. So what do we do? We just have to simply follow our good shepherd and allow him to do in us what needs to be done. Now, we continue to follow our great king and conquer wherever he leads us. Now, continuing, now there's just this word as I was praying for us as a church. uh, There is this word that just kind of came up in me as I was praying again in other tongues. You know, one of the most amazing things, as you're spending time praying in other tongues, really the spirit of God is able to direct you where you need to go and gives you words. And so I want to encourage you, we're going to up that. That's what we are. We're a tongue-talking church. And if you've got questions on that, come ask us. We'll hook you up. Now, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, I want you to go there for a moment. Because real clearly, when you start to continue, when you continue in the word, you continue in the things that you were taught, you were continue to follow him, it's you and I, it's really a safeguard from drifting. Now, I want you just to see this verse in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. And I know we've done a lot of talk and study on grace, and we're going to get back to that. We haven't left it. We're, this is just a little sidearm to it. I believe that we're going to continue to grow further and further into this because it's good that our hearts get established in this message of grace. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Okay. Now, establishing isn't all really, woo, yay, exciting, let's run around the building. But once you get established in it, you can't help but run and celebrate what Jesus has done. Now, I want you to see this verse, though, because there is a warning side to this that just because you're a believer doesn't mean everything's going to be honky-dory for you either. We have to guard against the drift. Now, again, if you read it in context, Hebrews chapter 1, phenomenal scripture about what, what God is doing in these last days, speaking to us through his son. But he's saying this is why it is so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truth that we have heard so that we do not drift off course. Now, <laughs> I don't know about you, but we've, we've all drifted. I'm not talking about your car pulling the e-brake and Wah! That's always a good time. <laughs> yeah, come on now. And listen, it's easy to drift to the point sometimes where you ask yourself, how did I get here? Anybody ever asked that question before? How, how on earth am I here? And it's simply, you drifted. And you can't blame Jesus. You can't blame other people. You've drifted from some things. And it may not be like I drifted into sin. I drifted into this. I just don't believe in God anymore. It just can simply be into this. I've actually drifted into this DIY gospel, do-it-yourself gospel, where I find myself that I'm now having to make things happen. I'm the one now in charge to make anything in the work come to pass in my life. I've drifted from the course of what this relational gospel is all about. Now, I'll give you a couple of examples of what drifting could potentially look like. One is this pursuing personal growth more than pursuing who God is and who we are in him and in him. Number two, our striving for God trumps God's gift for, of rest for us. Thirdly, looking the part becomes more important than being the part. Mm. Mm. 
And this was a big one that I know for myself, is what I do for God becomes my focus over what he has done for me. Now, again, just to relay how drifting, how simple it really is, I just recall uh, uh, Jamie and I, the last holiday we had, um, this was a few years ago, because we're not allowed on airplanes at the moment, but going a certain place, we were, we were in Mexico, and all of a sudden, I mean, I'm looking up, and there's my beautiful wife. Right? I mean, it's her first or second day, so she's, she's white as can be. And I can see her, and I go, there she is. <laughs> Listen, it was April, so we all white, okay? We're just we're not looking that pretty. So all of a sudden, I, I can see her. Okay, right there is my white flag. I, I can see her. And all of a sudden, you get talking to a couple of people. I met a buddy that was from Chicago, and we kind of just chatted a little bit. And hey, da, 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 da. all of a sudden, I look up, and she's not there. Where is my wife? Where has she been taken? Actually, my wife stayed in the same location. She was just way yonder over there. So I look and all of a sudden, there she is. How did I drifted? There's an undercurrent that just constantly, while we're just talking, we're just kind of in the water. And before you know it, I'm way over here. And my beautiful wife is way over there. My view is gone. What do I do? Who drifted? Jamie, get back over here. I need you in line. No, it's I've drifted. I need to get back on course. Yeah. So what you and I are doing as we're continuing in this gospel, as we're continuing in the truths that we've been taught, it's a great place to be to constantly make sure that I'm in line with what the word says. Yes. Now, God even tells us this. Um, or how, sorry, again, how do I avoid drifting? By being alert, again, Hebrews 2.1, and aware of the truth that we hear from God's word. God tells us this, Hebrews 13, 9, again, scriptures that we've worked on before. But he says, do not be, what's carried away is drifting. Do not be carried away or don't drift by diverse and strange teachings. What do we have more access to than anything that any generation's ever had before? Is diverse and strange teachings. Sometimes you hear some people preaching and go, what is wrong with you? Where did you get that? And they will come up with anything and everything to make it sound like it's gospel. It's not. There's one gospel. And what is gospel? It's the message of his grace. That's it. Galatians warns, warns us very clearly on that, that if anybody comes preaching a different gospel, Paul said, let him be accursed. But you and I, here's the thing. You can't stand up before the Lord and go, well, Lord, this was so-and-so taught. I just listened to that teaching. I can't help that I got straight off course. The Lord will say, you got your own Bible. You're not going to be able to point any blame on anybody else. This is your and I responsibility that I'm not drifting or I'm not being carried away. Even if somebody acts, you know, maybe it's their intention or not. But if they're carrying me away with strange doctrine and strange teaching, it's my responsibility to make sure it lines up with this. So a lot of times what we see in the church is actually laziness, where we're blaming other people, we're mad at what other preachers preach. Actually, you need to go to the Word for yourself and find out what does the Bible say. Because God doesn't want a relationship with you through somebody else. He wants an own intimate relationship with you. So the responsibility comes back to me. I can listen to all I want is to some men and women of God that I enjoy. That's great. But it should never take the place of my personal alone time with Jesus and his word. Why? Because this is a serious thing. 
I know what we look for is we look for that kind of the dessert, the stuff that makes us go, ooh, give us some miracles. Ooh, let's see some of this stuff. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All of that is wonderful, but it's a result of you and I being sustained by what the Word says. Okay. He says, for it is good. Say with me, it's good. What's good? This is then we have to allow the Word of God to tell us what's good. So the Word of God, Jesus tells us it is good for the heart our spirit men to be established and strengthened by grace and not by foods or the rules of diet and ritualistic meals, right? Which bring no benefit of spiritual growth to those who observe them. So again, the whole purpose in that is just talking, observing different holidays, different traditions, what you eat at that time. He's not talking about your diet that you may be on for 21 days. That's not what we're talking about here. (laughs) Besides, we already know you cheated, so it doesn't matter. Okay. (laughs) Now, the Message Bible says it like this. The grace of Christ is the only good ground for life. The grace of Christ is the only good ground for life. So this has become now our prayer as a team here for this church. It's that, Lord, that they would come and experience, not Impact Life Church, that you would come and experience Jesus and all that he is and all that he came to bring. That's our heart's desire is that when you experience him, you know him. That's our heart's desire and that our hearts get course corrected and that you and I become established in this message of grace. This is it. Uh, It's almost like the Lord is helping me get more and more defined as to why I'm on this earth. It's to clearly and continue to get this message of grace across in a generation that either A, don't give a rip, or B, think grace is just a license to sin. Grace has been lied about, and I know that for my own life because for myself, I think personally, I was always a bit unbalanced in the sense of I grew up in a strong faith home, and I am so grateful for that. It is a perfect balance of grace and faith. Because if all you have is faith and you kind of ignore grace, you become legalistic and works-focused. Works if you become just grace-focused and not understanding that you have a responsibility, you are kind of get into the sovereignty side and you also kind of get into this loosey-goosey, I can just do however I want to do life. It's a perfect balance of grace and faith. But for you and I and our hearts, the Bible tells us it is good that your heart be established in what Jesus is, what he has accomplished on your and my behalf. And my simple response is to, again, to respond to what he's done. Now, I want you to see just what the, there's a a mere paraphrase. They kind of take a lot of Greek words because, listen, the English language is very limited. We know that. When you hear the word agape, we would just say love. But the Greek actually has seven words for love. So English language, we say charity or love. There's so much more to this. And so this paraphrase just really pulls out some more of these Greek words from Hebrews 13.9. And I want you just to see it. It says this. Do not be swayed by distracting speculations. Any influence foreign to what grace communicates, even if it seems very entertaining and carries the Christian label, is to be shunned. Instead, what does it say? Feast. Feast on grace. What do we do? We feast on grace. Come on, church, what are we called to do? Feast on grace. That means you eat it, you eat it, you eat it, you eat it until it gets on the inside of you. And again, when the world squeezes you, what comes out? What Jesus has finished and accomplished on your behalf and your complete dependency upon that. 
He says, do not dilute your diet with legalism. There is no nourishment left in the law. What's the use of being busy and not blessed? So anything that's in the DIY Christianity has to be thrown out. The moment you have this do-it-yourself mentality, or all of a sudden you catch yourself thinking, what do I need to do in order to get, or in order to receive, in order to have, your, your mind is off. This is not a Jesus plus you do a few things and you receive the blessing of God. Of course, we are working with God, but it's not dependent upon what you do. We have got to get this church. And this is why sometimes people even have a hard time with this message. They kind of go, this great, this great stuff is it's just a license to sin. You're, you're allowing people to sin. No, people are going to do what they want to do anyway. So now if you sin, it's up to you. You want to do it. But when you hear about the message of grace, we are no longer under the law, but we're under grace. And when you understand I'm not under the rules and the regulations of don't do this, don't do that. Now freedom is activated. Because the more that you live under this law, command and control message that the Old Testament lived under, you're going to be stuck and bound to the sin that may be constantly, you're hiding in the back room, constantly doing that nobody else knows about. Until you get a revelation of what Jesus has done on your behalf. This is why we have to get the message of grace out there to a generation that really looks at God as some kind of God who's angry, who doesn't allow them to have any kind of good time. That's really interesting. If you don't look like this, if you don't dress properly, and if, you're, you know, if your skirt doesn't touch, you can't reach it with your hand, there's something wrong with you. That is not what our God is like. So what do we got to do? We have to get the gospel of grace, which is what Jesus has done to this generation. In a confused generation, what do they need? Clarity. And who brings clarity? There is no government political platform that can fix the mess that they made. What do we have? We have a king, and his name is Jesus, and he came to bring truth of what he has done on your behalf. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm more and more sold out to this more and more I get into this. Now... Trying to experience the goodness of God with your efforts and at the same time indulge in the benefits of grace is not possible. It's like trying to go in the opposite directions at the same time. I can't, I can't go both ways. So, what are we doing this morning? And I believe next week is we're going to just simply take some time to make sure that we are not drifting from truth. That we go into 2023 right on course and so that Jamie is right there. Right, that's, that's where we're looking. We're looking for her. The moment I get out of the water, there she is. I don't have to do that a whole lot, but I can wisp once. <laughs> All right. Now, so I believe this is where we need to begin. Again, very simple, very basic, but that's good. We don't need a new word. You need a now word. Who are you because of Jesus? You are a child of Almighty God. I think you and I, we are supposed to go into this year with our heads held high because of whose we are and in whom we believe. I am his, he is mine, and he has made me his child. That's why I can go into this year, not because I've, you know, I got some inside information about, you know, some Wall Street stuff. No, no, no. I can hold my head up high because I know who I am in him. And in him, he calls me child. Ah, yes. oh, it's a good place to be. Yes. 
So look, look here again in 1 John. Let's turn here. 1 John 3. But again, let's remember what Hebrews 2.1 says. If I'm not attentive or focusing on the truth that I've been taught, even from this perspective, I'm a child of God. If I'm not attentive to that, I can slip into a servanthood mentality. I can serve into, yeah, I could really fall into, well, I got to earn in order to get. You're a child. None of my children in my house have to do anything to earn my love. They live in my house. They are loved. Period. Well, it kind of depends on how they wake up the next morning. There are times that they have better mornings than usual. But my love has never changed. It will never change. They still get access to milk and cereal. Oh, but if they're not acting well, milk went up two bucks. I'm not sure if they're going to get maybe about half a milliliter less. They're going to get the exact same amount in their bowl of cereal. Why? Because they are in my house and they are my children. That's who you are. <laughs> okay. So First John chapter 3. Some of you ha- were with me until I mentioned the milk thing. And then you're like, well, man, I'm, I don't know. It's going to be dry cereal for the next couple of months here. <laughs> Have you ate mini wheats dry? One of the things that I hate more than anything is this thing called smucking or smacking. I, and when, especially when you don't get a whole lot of sleep the next morning when one of your children decides to just... The Lord, enlarge me. <laughs> I cried out to you in distress. God, the smacking of four children. Lord, help me. And so what does he do? He enlarged me by moving me into another room. (laughs) I've done that many times. Children, I love y'all, but I'm going to just go sit over there. Let me know when you're done your breakfast. Then we'll continue reading our devotions for the morning. It saves a lot of heartache. All right, I'm just parenting 101. I'm writing a book. Okay. (laughs) 1 John 3, verse 1, he says this. The very first word is? Come on, say it with me. Look! What does that mean? You're going to have to actually take some time to look. Other translations say, the, I think the King James says, behold. Behold. What does that mean? Look. You're going to have to take some serious time looking into this because it's not just automatic. Behold. Look with wonder at the depth of the Father's marvelous love. That what did he do with it? He has lavished on us. So what am I supposed to do with that? I don't just go, oh yeah, God loves me, and kind of just, again, throw that as a Christian cliche saying around and around. He says, look at it. How do you look at it? Through Jesus. When you see Jesus operating and acting in the gospels through the word of God, you're actually looking at the depth of the Father's marvelous love that he has for you and that he's lavished on you. And what does he do with this love? Look at the highest thing, the deepest thing that you can find, what God did in you on, on our and my behalf, is that he has called us and made us his very own beloved children. Say with me, I am a child of God. That's who I am. That's who I, I am. People ask, who are you? I am a child of God. No, I don't know. I want your pronouns. No, no, no. I am a child of God. That's who I am. Come on, some of you got to say that like you mean it. I am a child of God. 
When all of a sudden the bill shows up or sickness tries to attach itself or all the craziness out here, we can boldly stand up and say, I am a child of God. Amen. That's the boldest my kids have. Yeah. Hold on a sec. If anybody from the outside tried to come in and, you know, steal their stuff or take it away from them, they could go, hey, hold on a minute. This is my dad's house. You can't do that. Get out of here. Why? He's a child. He has full rights and privileges to the house that he lives in. Sometimes he's a little bit too liberal with his takings, but, you know, we'll get on that. That's my right. Why? Because I am. I am a child of God. He has called us and he has made us his very own. The reason, now notice this, the reason the world doesn't recognize who we are is that they didn't recognize him. And sadly, a lot of Christians don't know who they are because they don't know him. They're trying to find themselves. What a waste of time. You never will. Maybe I'm in Hawaii. You're not there. (laughs) Maybe in the Yukon, if I'm just alone for three months, you'll be frozen and you will still not find who you are. Why? Because I am a child of God. Everything I am, everything I have, everything that's about me is found in him. Acts 17 says, in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being. My life has been totally absorbed by Jesus. So if you're like, I don't really know who I am. Listen, there's nothing wrong with, you know, finding, getting some personal growth. Nothing wrong with any of that, unless you do it apart from him. Okay, verse 2. He says, beloved. Notice John just says that regularly. Beloved. We are God's children when? When we get to heaven? And it's finally settled? No, right now. However, it is not yet apparent what we will become, meaning, but we do know that when it is finally made visible, talking about Jesus, the great revealing, we will be just like him. For we will see him as he truly is. And whatever you are looking at, you become. So this is a great part. That's why John started off by saying, look, you got to spend time seeing and taking time looking at this. Because when you see it, you become it. You need to start walking around like you are a child of God who has now been graced to inherit this whole earth. Doesn't belong to the political parties doesn't belong to the green new deals that are out there. It belongs to the children of God. It's his footstool. It belongs to the children of God. Now, where do I go with this? Now, why is knowing who I am in Christ so important? I don't have this on the screen. But Romans eight nineteen, it just says, The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. So I want you to picture creation is on its tiptoes at this moment. Every tree, every animal, even though they're running away from you, they are on their tiptoe. Do you hear the drum roll? Like spiritually speaking, do you hear the drum roll? There's a drum roll taking place that when he comes in his great revealing, when we see him, the Bible says you're going to be changed in the moment of a twinkling of an eye. And what is that change? I'm going to be just like him. And the why the world looks at you and thinks you're stupid, you're nuts, you're the problem with all this whole world. When they see that you out of you, they go, whoa, that was them. That's who you are, church. So we've got to get a different mindset that you aren't just Joe Blow walking around here. You are a child of Almighty God with the rights and privileges, anointed by the Spirit of God, with heaven itself as your backup. Everything you need, it's been provided. 
So who am I? I'm a child of God. Why can I go into 2023 confidently, even though I don't know all the chaos and all the things that are going to come? Because I am a child of God. And children of God, he doesn't abandon what he created. Okay, how did the father call me and make me his child? There's three things. I'll read them out to you. Number one is through a stampede of grace. Number two, through the blood of his son. And number three, through his word. Again, what are we doing? We are making sure we're not drifting. We are getting back to what the word says because we believe that the word is our north star, so to speak. That this is where it is. This is where if I'm making sure Jamie is in my, in my view, okay, I'm in the right spot, Right? The moment I've gone over here, I've gone into some other resort. They don't have, you know, all the good food that I like. This is, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is exactly where I'm at. It's the same for you and I. We have to make sure that we are on course. And you may go, well, I've heard that before. Great. Then you're in a good spot. Continue to stay here. Keep floating around here. Ephesians chapter 2. The stampede of grace. I don't know about you, but now sometimes when I read through the Gospels, I just kind of hear, and what is it? It's like the birth of Jesus that we celebrated in December is not just a cute little baby in a manger. It's actually a stampede of grace coming to humanity. Grace is here! And that's why the angels yelled out, goodwill toward all men. What does that mean? At one point, there was not goodwill between heaven and earth. So thank God Jesus came and he settled forever that God is not at war with planet earth. (sighs) He's not going to fight against it. Except for those that choose not to accept him. Now, the stampede of grace. Again, familiar verses to us. Let's read it. Ephesians 2, he says, His fullness fills you. Even though you were once like corpses, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. So listen, we aren't condemning the world because we used to be right there. Right? You cannot reach a generation that you condemn. So we're not here condemning anyone. Jesus didn't condemn the world. He came to rescue and to save. How? By demonstrating his love. So again, I just have to, this keeps coming up. What's our message to the world? It's not, if you die, you're going to hell. That's true. Yes. Our message is, look what Jesus has done on your behalf. Look what he did. He took all that mess, all that sickness, all that pain, all those tears that you've cried. He has taken it all upon himself so that you can enjoy everlasting life, which is to know him intimately. Because we know, of course, it's true. If they don't receive Jesus, we know hell is the end result. But we don't go around. If you don't turn, you're going to hell. That's not good news. What is that? That's reality of what's going to take place. The message of the cross is Jesus came for you. While he hung there, you were on his mind. That's the good news. Isn't it the goodness of God that leads people to change? Or the condemnation of the church? Is that what leads people to change? Come on, y'all. Church, this is huge for us. 
Verse 3, the corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and the desires of our self-life. We live by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated. Anybody remember those days? It may have been a little while ago, but remember doing this. Living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But notice this. But God still loved us with such great love. Now notice, we read this, but this is who he is. So again, sometimes we don't recognize who we are is because we haven't seen him. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. And you know what's kind of sad is a lot of times the church, we aren't even rich in compassion and mercy towards one another. Do you want to know why? Because you haven't seen him. When you catch a glimpse of how merciful and how kind and loving he has been to your life, you can't help but share that exact same relief to, and release to somebody else. So everything in this Christian life isn't just looking at, oh, what, what's the pulpit doing? I hope that they're, if they're on target, then we're all good. We have to look to him. Jesus is our ultimate goal. Verse 5. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us. Come on, say it with me. He united us into the very life of Christ, and then he saved us by his wonderful grace. Verse 6, he, come on, do you see this, do you see do-it-yourself gospel anywhere in here? He raised us up with Christ the exalted one, and simply, we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm, for we are now co-seated as one with Christ. Verse 7, throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness which he showered upon us in Christ Jesus. In the end, when this all wrapped up and we've been in heaven now for a million years, there will be people that will walk by and go, Those, that's the church, that's the ecclesia. Those are the called out, man, look how blessed, look, look how much favor is on those guys. That's us. There's never been a generation like it. Verse 8, for it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we did could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So now, no one will ever be able to boast, for salvation is never a reward for the good works or human striving. So what in this do you see that you have to do? You simply believed what Jesus has done on your behalf. Now we're talking about how did God make us and call us his children? He did it. He wanted you. In 2023, God saw and says, yes, there's my son. Yes, there's my I want them on my team. I want them living with me forever and ever. And I want to live in them forever and ever. He called you first. Then look at this in Colossians chapter 2. It just gets gooder from here, y'all. So this is just, you can just buckle in and listen to some of these verses. Verse 11. Through our hard work, through our striving and all night prayer services, with him, no, 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 through our, come on, through our union, through my union with him, I have experienced a circumcision of heart. <laughs> All of the guilt and the power of sin has been cut away and is now extinct because of what Christ, the anointed one, has accomplished for us. What did he do? He did it for me. 
Verse 12, for we've been buried with him into his death. Our baptism into death also means we were raised with him when we believed in God's resurrection power, the power that raised him from death's realm. Now look at this. This realm of death describes our former state, for we were held in sin's grasp, but now, say with me, but now, we've been resurrected out of that realm of death, never to return, for we are forever alive and forgiven of all sin. All of it, gone, eradicated. In fact, it says here in the Greek, extinct. Where are those T-Rexes? Where are they? Will you find one when you go across the earth? Why? Because it's extinct. Well, God looks the same way. Oh, Lord, my sin, I've sinned, I've sinned, I've sinned. He goes, what are you talking about? What, what are you talking about? It's extinct. God, through Jesus, has turned the sin dial off. And instead, what has he done? He's turned the righteousness of God completely up. So now when he looks at you, he doesn't go, oh yeah, you did that and that and that. No, no, that's gone. It's extinct. He can't even find it. So why are you talking about it? Why? He wants you to start magnifying what Jesus has done on your behalf. I'm the righteousness of God because I'm his child. He made me this way. Now, verse 14, it just, again, he canceled out every legal violation that we had on our record and the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He, he, come on, say with me, he, doesn't say I, he did this. He erased it all. What did he erase? My sin and my stained soul. Remember, in the Old Testament, what kept coming back up to them was how wrong that they were. The, the blood of the animals, it would cover their sin, but year after year, their consciousness would go, oh, but I did that, and I, I committed this, and I acted like this, and it was constantly the weight of sin was on them. The God, through Jesus, not only erased our sin, but also the stained soul. Listen, your days of depression are over of what you did before. Oh, and I had this, and I did that. I, you know, I had an abortion, or I, I had a sex change, or I, I did all these things. I was stupid, stupid. I was did this. He has the ability through his blood to erase all evil from your memory. So you can walk as if it never happened. Who did God use to preach this gospel? A murderer who actually went after the church, chained him, threw him in prison, and killed a whole bunch of them. And yet now here he is, Paul, and over and over you see in his letter, I ran into the mercy of God at the road to Damascus. He says over and over, he calls himself a, a, a least of all the, the apostles. Then he goes on to Timothy to actually say, I'm least of all the sinners. Paul came into this place of, oh my God, I ran into this grace, a grace I didn't deserve. None of us did. Otherwise, it wouldn't be called grace. It'd be called works. This is the message of grace, not the message of works. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam, confused, depressed, anger, anything you can imagine what came as a result of sin, has now been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. It is finished. It is done. Verse 15. Then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness. I love this verse. Jesus made fun of Satan. Kind of go, well, Jesus wouldn't tease people. Oh, yeah, he, he right here. 
He took that stupid devil and every demon that chose to follow him and he made a spectacle of them. Stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his all along. Devil thought he won. And I'll tell you, on that third day, Jesus went, surprise. Here comes your beating. And there it came. And he stripped him of everything he had from a spiritual sense on you. Jesus didn't die for himself. Jesus didn't come to give himself a sound mind. He came to bring that and make that available for all humanity. No matter where you live, no matter what your upbringing may be, Jesus went through it all, through the dark stuff. Man, the things that we don't even know. We see the, the, the cat of nine tails on his back. We see the beatings. We see the, the crown of thorns and the nail in his hands on the cross. You don't know what happened overnight. You have no idea those perverted, evil, devilish men, what they would have done to him. He took it all in his body so that no matter who would experience anything like this, Jesus can say, I did that for you. So those things that haunt you, those dreams that, or call them dreams, those nightmares of what had happened to you in the past, those things that may have tortured you when you were little or even in your teenage years or things that you did, I took that all on myself so that you could be free. That's our Jesus. And that's why in 2023, this is the year of no depression, church. Stop it. Those, all that stuff that the devil just tries to haunt you and say, do you remember what you did? Remember how you spoke? Remember the actions you did? Oh, man. Stop it. Now it's time to go, no, I am magnifying and honoring the finished works of Jesus. Now, I got another hour worth of message right here, but I'm going to stop right here. But let me just finish with one more verse because it's fitting. I don't have this on screen and then I'll, I'll pass it over to, to Julian here. But in Hebrews chapter nine, I want you just to see this because I remember I've had some conversations with people and I've been so wonderful. But one of the things that keeps coming up going, man, I, I'm a little bit, I, I'm not quite ready for Jesus to come back yet. And reason why, and listen, it's not that it's a bad thing. It's actually like, I, I hear what they're saying. I, I'm not quite there yet. Meaning, I haven't totally cleaned up yet. Do you know what that is? This fear. And in perfect love, there is no fear. And I want you to see Hebrews chapter 9 in the very last verse. Verse 28, it says this. Are you guys all there? I encourage you, please turn there. I'm going to have to... Verse 28. Oh, you guys are good down there, I tell you. Making us all work up here. He says, but when we die, we will be face to face with Christ. Now we're talking about God's people. The one who experienced death once for all to bear the sins of many. And now to those who eagerly await him. I don't know about you, church. I'm excited to see this man, Jesus. I mean, listen, we have his word, which I listen. It's not just, okay, when I see Jesus and everything, okay. The fullness of God rests in this word. Jesus isn't better than his word. In fact, he says, I magnified my word above his name. So we're not looking, okay, well, Jesus, Jesus, I'm just, whenever, when I see everything will be okay. You can see him right here. Well, I'm not seeing him. That's why we pray, Lord, open up the eyes of our heart. 
Because again, we're not looking naturally speaking. It's not like I've seen, okay, Jesus is six foot one, kind of looks like me. That's not what we think. That's not the image we're looking for, <laughs> right? You actually can know him greater because he's now have a spiritual relationship with him. Right? Paul said that in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, now we know man after the flesh, but now we know Jesus in the spirit. Paul had a deeper walk with Jesus more than Peter and John, and they walked with him. How? Because it was a spiritual relationship. Now let me finish this. And now to those who eagerly await him, he will appear a second time. Notice, not to deal with sin. Well, the church is in so much sin. No. Sure, there's things that need to get cleaned up. I'm sure, that I'm not saying that I'm not ignoring any of that. But he's working it out. So stop looking at people and going, mm, you got a lot of problems over there. Yeah, you, you got to fix that, man. I, you, want, you better go to freedom session. You got a lot of trash in that. That's not what this is for. We all got stuff. Say it, I got stuff. So what a waste of time for me to look at somebody else and say, you got a lot of stuff that you need to work on. Meanwhile, I got a full-time job making sure that I'm straight on the straight and narrow. I'm making sure my life is intact. I don't, and I'll do, and Lord, if you have a word that you want to help me somebody with, but I'm not here to look at somebody else and say, you suck. You're Christian life. You got to fix that up. That's not my job. That's the Lord's job. The world thinks we're nuts is because we hate each other. The world will know us because we love each other. Now, he will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but what is he going to do? But to bring us the fullness of salvation. When he comes back, he's not looking to, oh, you sin there, you sin that. No, he's coming to fulfill what he started at the cross, what he finished at the cross, and now here it is. Here's the fulfillment of it. Here's your new body. Here's this glorified thing. That's why he's coming back. Woo! Now, Let's take a moment. Let's just pray as we go into this year. I know we've done that, and you've probably done that 15 days ago. But I, as a church family, want to continue just to stand before the Lord. And this is why we can hold our heads high. This is why we can expect the good things of God. This is why we can expect to go forward and not backwards and draw back in fear and coward. We're going to go forward. Why? Because we are children of God. And children of God get God's best. If he gave you Jesus, he'd give you anything. So, Father, we come to you this morning as children of the Most High God. Jesus, we just saw from your word the stampede of grace that you came charging into planet Earth with your son, Jesus. And, Lord, we just stand in this place again, surrendering our life to you once again, saying, Jesus, you are Lord of our lives. Jesus, you are king of my heart. Jesus, you are king of my soul. Father, I am so grateful that you have called me. Say this with me. Father, I'm so grateful that you call me and you've made me your very own child. And that is who I am. When I walk around Red Deer, when I drive in my car, as I live in this province, as I live in this nation, I am a citizen and a child of heaven. So Father, thank you for your love. I walk boldly. I walk confidently knowing that you're for me, that you're in me, and that you gave me Jesus. There is nothing that you're withholding from me. In Jesus' mighty name. Hey, oh. Come on, church. Hey.